You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And now, Mary. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over, she looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, woman, why are you crying? And they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this point, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I'll go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Did you notice how much running is going on in this story? There, there's, a, there's a lot of running. I mean, it's a breathless passage of Scripture. It tires me out just reading it. I read this passage and I start to pant. I need air because everyone is running in this passage. The funny thing is that in all other passages of Scripture, the whole Bible, you don't have this much running. And certainly you have, don't have this much running when it comes to the Gospels. There's not running like this that goes on. But in this paragraph, everyone seems to be at a full sprint. Why so much running? I mean, of all places, they're running in a cemetery. We don't do that. We don't run in cemeteries. I don't know if you've ever seen anyone run in a cemetery. I've never seen anyone run in a cemetery. Because when we're in cemeteries, we, we walk lightly like we're walking through a minefield. And we talk quietly in whispers, though the people beneath us can hear us. So we are quiet in cemeteries. No one runs in cemeteries, not, not, not anywhere. And then this Easter story, it's all about what John tells us as people running through cemetery, that they're coming and going back and forth. You know, I see people running. Maybe you do the same. I see people running around my neighborhood. When I get up in the morning, I watch them run. I'm not a runner. Uh, so I don't know exactly what they're going through, but uh, I could be wrong. They really don't look like they're going anywhere, in my opinion. And, and then when you actually look at them, they certainly don't look like they're having fun getting to where they're supposed to be. But they're going about it. They're running. They have a grimace on their face. And when they pass each other, have you noticed? They, they grunt and they nod. I just figured that's the international code for runners. You know, just you, you, you just nod at each other and, and that's, you, you understand each other. There's faces just etched in pain because they're trying to keep their heart rate up and bring their waistline down. That is the whole purpose. It's doing that. I see people running at work. I see it all the time, you know, running with a lot of things to do, trying to keep their schedules. They're so busy. They're trying to get a whole lot of things done in one short period of time. You know, I see people run around town. Moms and dads, I see you running. 
I see you running all the time because what you're doing is you're running from school to baseball signups, back to school for a dance recital. You're running a lot. You have a lot of running because you have the family taxi cab that makes that possible. Going from here to there, everyone's running. But I don't see very many people who run, run with joy. I don't see people who are running with happiness in their heart except for children. When I see children, I see a lot of happiness. You know what I mean when you take kids, you put them together, and you open the door and just let them go. They spread out like a bunch of little bugs. I mean, they're going in every kind of direction. On Mondays, I pick up two of my grandkids so that we can spend the day together, and, and um, we get together, and we love our time together. But when I go to pick them up, I knock on the door, and I listen carefully because I can tell who's coming to the door. I can hear if my two-year-old granddaughter is coming to the door because my two-year-old granddaughter runs to the door. She always runs to the door. So she runs to me, she sees me, she gets excited. Now, when she's running, it's not because she's busy or she's in a hurry or because she's being chased or because she's overcommitted or she wants to keep her heart rate up and her waistline down. That's not <laughs> why she runs. She's running because she's happy. She's running because she's excited. She runs because she can't wait to open the door. And when she opens the door, she jumps into my arms. Right after, she does a little twirl to show me the new dress that she has on. It's this kind of running that we're talking about taking place in this cemetery on the first Easter morning. It's the kind of running that seems to be carefree, light of foot, feet that once were weighed down and experienced by all kinds of horrible things in their life. Suddenly, their feet are free. Suddenly, their feet are light, and they're, they're running. They're running wherever they can go to tell others he's risen. They still don't understand it. They don't comprehend the total impact, but they know something's up. And I wonder when I read this story if their feet caught on before their head did because their feet are moving, and they're going fast. You see, when the sun came up that first Easter morning, the resurrection of Jesus dawned on people in a lot of different ways, much like many of us today. Many of us today have stories and we can talk about, we can tell others about how I came to faith in Jesus Christ. It's unique to you. It's your story. It's your testimony. Much like those that were baptized this morning. We're going to baptize some more in the next service. And what's so exciting is to hear their stories. All of them have unique ways that they've come to faith in Jesus Christ. You have had a unique way. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you've come in a unique way to him. And I want us to look because John, what John does is so magnificent, so amazing. If you notice, he highlights individuals in this story. John is unique to that. He wants you to know who's there. He wants you to know who's involved with this wonderful truth of resurrection. So he highlights three people, three different people, and he talks to us about their faith and how they came to faith in Jesus. Well, the first one you look at is the author himself, by the way. He doesn't give us his name. Rather, he gives us a description of how he wants us to know him. If you look at verse 2, it says, the one Jesus loved. Isn't that a great nickname? You know, the one that Jesus loved. Honey, put that on my headstone, if you would. I would love to have that. The one that Jesus loved. So how did he come to faith in Jesus Christ? Because what we say here and we see in verse 8 that he saw and he believed. How refreshing. He saw and he believed. He didn't need a lot of urging. He didn't need more evidence. That wasn't his gig. 
John had a simple faith. That's the kind of faith that he had. An empty tomb was all he needed to know. To see an empty tomb is what set him free. John walked with Jesus. We know he did. He was close to Jesus. Wherever you would find Jesus, you would find John soon after. John wanted to be close. If you remember, he was the one close to Jesus and leaned on his chest just to hear the heartbeat of God. So here's one that loves Jesus. Whenever Jesus called his three disciples together, it was always Peter, James, and John. When Jesus was dying on the cross, if you remember, Peter and James were nowhere to be found. But John was close to his side. John wasn't going to leave Jesus. No, not for one moment. And it was this disciple that Jesus spoke to from the cross. And he said, take care of my mother. So what's he doing? He's entrusting the care of his mother to John. John was very, very close to Jesus. And now we hear that he's in a foot race with Peter. They're running to the tomb. Guess who wins? Yeah, John does. John wins. And I think there's a reason he probably put that in there. So you would know he's faster than Peter. That's why he put it there. But John is faster in more ways than one. He's quicker of faith. You see, what it says to us is he saw and he believed. I think that's one of the greatest statements in the Bible. For me, it's probably one of the clearest. It's one of the most exciting. It's one of the most inspiring statements. And ultimately, ultimately, this is where God wants all of us to be. He wants all of us to be there. He saw and he believed. She saw and she believed. This disciple didn't need a lot of proof. He didn't need to feel the nail holes in the hands of Jesus. He didn't need to see Jesus walk through any walls. He didn't need anything. You just had to announce it. You just had to whisper it. Just a whisper as it came out of an empty tomb, and we know that John believed. Now, let me clear up any misunderstanding you might have about John or others like him. He is not naive, ignorant or from another kind of world, living where all the flowers bloom and that's all you see. There are people who truly enjoy their faith, the blessings of faith, the fruitfulness of faith. John was one of those, and there are many of you that come to him the same way, a simple faith. You just see and you believe. What an amazing gift. And you see and you believe and have faith even when life is difficult. When the circumstances get hard, you see and you believe. These people are people that I need in my life. I don't come to faith as easy as John. I come to faith a little different. But John was one of those people and these kinds of people that I need in my life because every day they show me the way of a growing relationship with Jesus Christ because I just look at their lives and I think of the simplicity that they have to Jesus Christ. Their approach is a simple one. It's not complicated. They remind me just to ask God. If you need something and things are falling in on you, the roof's caving in, you just ask God. And what happens here is people like this, God's word is enough. They hear him and they believe in him. Again, there are a lot of different ways that we find Jesus Christ. Not everyone comes to believe in Jesus like John. In fact, John is the only one recorded in the Gospels who's come to faith this same way, who sees and believes And I'm sure, I'm pretty sure that there are many of us in this room that want to live that way. We want to see, we want to believe, but the truth be told, we're um, we're more like John's running mate, Peter. We're more like Peter who has a struggling faith. You see, Peter really struggled with what he was seeing and believing. Peter's recorded 
uh, in the gospel being pretty consistent with his life. Peter always found trouble. If he couldn't find it, trouble found him. He is a hardcore fisherman. He's pushy. He's impulsive. He would rather knock you down than pick you up. That's Peter. In verse 6, it says, Peter came along behind John, pushed him out of the way to get into the tomb. That's paraphrased, but that is accurate. That's exactly what he does here. Peter's faith is a struggling faith. He walks into the same tomb John did. He sees exactly the same thing. And he walks home scratching his head, wondering what he just saw. He didn't believe right away. No, Peter didn't believe immediately. It took him time. He had questions. Peter had doubts, concerns. Even after he saw the same evidence, an empty tomb, he still wasn't certain. You know, there are many of us, I think many of us here today, we're looking around this room and we're seeing happy people, people filled with faith in our lives, in their lives. And we're asking ourselves, why, why don't I feel that way? I mean, I, I'm trying, I'm working at it. I'm, I mean, I mean, I mean, I've even clapped my hand for the first time in six months. I mean, I'm really, really working at this. Well, I want you to know that you're not alone. Peter, if you're out there, you're not alone. You're not alone whatsoever. I'm pretty sure that there are plenty of Peters here in this room today. Peter, again, a rough one, a rough around the edges, a hardcore fisherman. He knows all the dirty jokes. There are no curse words that he hasn't heard or hasn't used. That's Peter. Now, I'm sure when he ran to the tomb, there might have been a spark of hope. You know, maybe, maybe this is possible. But Peter, Peter knows this. Peter knows once you're dead, you're dead. When it's over, it's over. There's just no coming back from this one. This is terminal. Death is terminal. I'm guessing that there might be a few Peters in the room today who, in your heart of hearts, you're wondering. Uh, you're not sure about life after death. You're not sure if you're redeemable. You're not sure if salvation is even for you. And you walk through the days and the months and you wonder these things. Well, today I want this story to encourage all the Peters in the room. I want you to know that Jesus came back and he came back for you, Peter. That's why he came back. In another gospel, in the gospel of Mark chapter 16, remember the place where the angel tells Mary to go tell the disciples. What does the angel say? The angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter too. Why do you think he did that? Well, I, I think there's a reason. I, I think Peter was pretty sure and believed that if anybody was going to be dropped from God's invitation list, it would be him. I mean, Zippo, he's gone. Big fat zero in his life. And to all the Peters, I want you to remember this. Easter is a time for us to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A time to say that he has risen. He has risen indeed. Especially for the people who believe that he didn't come back for them. You're the ones he came back for. He came back for you. See, after the resurrection, Jesus has this heart-to-heart -heart conversation with Peter right around a campfire. And you know what Jesus does? He takes his nail-scarred hands. He wraps them around Peter, and he says with a great big hug, I love you. No condemnation. No I told you so's. No guilt trip. Just one phrase, I love you, Peter. I love you, Peter. In John chapter 20, we see the simple faith of, 
of John. We see a struggling faith that Peter has. But Jesus wasn't done yet. He had some more work to do because there's another person there. It's Mary of Magdala. Hers was a grieving faith. She was grieving. This woman had a painful past. She was tormented by men and by devils all of her life. And Jesus comes along and he sets her free. And when she's going to the tomb, she's not going to the tomb to celebrate Easter. She's going to the tomb to perform a wake. That's why she's there. Her early morn morning is shrouded in grief. She can't see behind, beyond her, her, her hands in front of her face. She is so grief-stricken. And so the question on Easter morning is, Mary, are you out there? Are there any Marys? You came to celebrate this morning and there's a heavy heart. I mean, it's all you can do to try to even break a smile. And that's a profound sense of loss when we go through these difficult times. The loss maybe of a loved one. The loss of a job. The loss of a friendship. The loss of health. All of these things can bring grief into our lives. Mary's grief covered her faith, so much so that grief caused mistaken identity. You see, she thought that Jesus was the gardener. Now, that's astounding because she had spent three years with him. She knew who he was. But grief had covered her eyes. She couldn't see. Mary came to Easter, and she says, he's gone. Where did you take him? I want him back. Bring him back. Somebody take me to him. Now, you may feel that same way today. You may feel that the one that raised from the grave, that Jesus, he's the one who has left you, but he hasn't left you. What you need to know is Jesus is here and near to all the Marys that are in the room today. He's right here. He's close to you. You aren't lost in the crowd. You aren't forgotten. Just like Mary, Jesus knows your name. And when he says it, you know it's him because he's the only one that can say your name in a way that touches your heart, that you know it's him. Listen, he hasn't forgotten you, Mary. He knows you're there and he loves you. Remember, I told you beginning of this message that my granddaughter loves to run to the door when I knock. Well, there's also a few other things she likes to do. She likes to twirl. She likes to dance. She likes to try to skip rocks on a pond, not successfully, but she takes attempts. A few weeks ago, when a Monday rolled around, we spent some time together, and, and I was feeling pretty down, just feeling pretty down, and, and she asked me to twirl with her. She wanted me to twirl with her. I'm old. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do twirls. I'm an adult. I'm a pastor. I'm too dignified to do twirls. I have other things that are on my mind. Well, everyone in our family knows this, that whenever my granddaughters ask for anything, they get whatever they ask for. I felt a little weird. I did a little twirl. I was looking when no one else was looking. I wanted to make sure you didn't see me twirl. But, but I twirled. I really did. I twirled around with her, and she had her best little princess dress on, and, and we did a few twirls together. You know what happened? Something happened to me. Something happened in my heart. It started in my feet. I started to feel new again. I started to feel like a kid again. I, I started to feel like the resurrection is true. And the resurrection affects my life. And the resurrection changes me. I felt like a kid again when 
Easter gets a hold of you like, when Easter gets a hold of you like that, you, it'll send you running and twirling and skipping rocks again. And I think some of us need to run and twirl and skip a few rocks. When you do that, you're going to know exactly what Mary was feeling. When she went back to the disciples, she said, He's risen. He's risen. He's risen from the grave. Would you bow your head with me? I just want to extend an invitation to you, and it's really between you and the Lord. It's a choice you make to follow Jesus. That, that's a choice that only can be made by you, not by family members or friends or anyone else. Decisions that you make to follow Jesus. And today I'm wondering on this wonderful Easter morning when we get together if you might be one of those folks that feels like you're on the outside looking in. Well, I know this. <clears throat> that's not what Jesus wants for you. He wants grace to be extended to you, everlasting life to be extended to you, for you to come to faith. And maybe you're one who's sitting here right now, and you're one It doesn't take much coaxing, that you said, oh, I, I see, I hear, I believe. There are also maybe some that have struggling faith, some that have a faith that's called a grieving faith. If you're here today and you want to receive, invite Jesus into your life like these three did, I'm just going to ask right where you are. If you would lift your hand, I'm not going to embarrass you. I am not going to call you out. I just want you to, by a hand lifted, there you go, by a hand lifted, there's a confession of faith that you make. When you lift your hand, if you can lift it up a little bit, thank you for doing that. I appreciate your courage and your faith for doing that. When you lift your hand, we want to get to you just a, it's called a starter kit, for lack of a better term. It's a starter kit that tells you the decision you're making is that you're confessing with your mouth, you're believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is your Savior. That's what it takes. You confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart, and Jesus becomes your Lord and Savior. Good. Are there others? Thank you. Thank you for lifting your hand. Thank you for the courage, finding Jesus, following Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. Just briefly, for those that lifted their hands, all of us together in this place heads bowed, eyes closed, we're going to pray a prayer. Maybe you prayed this prayer a long time ago, but, but let's pray it again together. It's really for those that are lifting their hands to follow Jesus. And the prayer is very simple. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, today I confess my sins, and I invite you in my heart. It's your life, your death, and your resurrection that gives me life and hope. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.